Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who, and thankfully not Torchwood. <laughs> uh, my name is David, and as always, I am joined by the mythological Matt. Hello there. Well, Matt, today we we're having another bonus episode, another listener pick uh, off the back of um, last year's uh, Weedy Big Quiz, and this week. We're doing we're doing a beauty, the horns of Nymon. Mm. Bit of classic Who, first bit of classic Who for a while for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a welcome break from Torchwood. Mm. It really is. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? It's it's hard to uh, to to kind of reconcile the fact that that these two these things are set in the same universe. Yeah. Well, do you want some great news, David? Yes, of course I do, Matt. Okay, well, this episode was picked by Mark from the All of Time and Space podcast. Already great news. Just Exactly. Podcast just knowing Mr. Nice. Yeah, just knowing, being reminded of Mark's existence. Yeah. It's made, made my day a little better. Do you know what Mark's surname is? Uh, I do, yes. It's of quality. Mark of quality. <laughs> Uh, Excellent. I, I was lucky enough to sit down with Mark and discuss a number of things, including his reasons for choosing this episode. And mm. I'm going to insert that audio now. Hello, and welcome to another bonus edition of Neither the Time Nor the Space. My name is Matt, but David's not with us this week. I am joined by Podcasting's Mr. Nice from the All of Time and Space podcast. I've got Mark with us. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. Uh, yeah, Podcasting's Mr. Nice couldn't be here tonight, so I've had to step in instead. Oh, you're too humble. You're too humble. <laughs> are you well, Mark? How are things? Very well, thank you, and uh, very uh, honoured to be invited on to such a a wonderful yeah. podcast as yourselves. Yeah. Your podcast in royalty. Stop <laughs> slumming it with those commoners. Oh, I'll, I'm a proper slot. I'll just go on anyone's podcast. Why, why don't you tell... I, I mean, I can't believe any of our listeners would have listened to All of Time and Space. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Okay. Well, I've been podcasting for about 10 years. Um, I've got a couple of shows on the go. Uh, there's one called Nerdology UK, which is um, pop culture, so that's movies, TV, books, all sorts of uh, pop culture stuff. And that is something where we kind of release it sporadically, so it might go for a long time and then an, an episode will just pop up out of the ether. And then we'll go quiet again for a while. Whereas uh, the other one, which is All of Time and Space, um, that one, we there's myself and my friend Ian Martin. And uh, we are watching all of Doctor Who in broadcast order, starting with An Unearthly Child. And as we record this evening, uh, we are just about to put out our episode on the 10th planet. So we've just about finished Mr. Hartnell's run. So that comes out on a much more regular basis. I would say, I don't want to give the game away, because mm. this weekend David and I reviewed another Cyberman story other mm -hmm. than the 10th planet and there are a lot of controversial opinions that get thrown <laughs> about so um in fact by the time this episode comes out that'll have released so everyone will know what mm. I've said mm. I look um, forward to that so I've got a set of questions I'm going to run through okay. but mm. importantly um, before we get into them, it's important to note that we are doing this as a result of your donation to last year's Wheelie Big Quiz. Yeah, I'm Dave, so sorry about that. David and I thought we'd have done this months ago. Um, <laughs> we're, we kind of realised we're not that far from this year's Wheelie Big Quiz. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, so first and foremost, thank you very much for your donation. Oh, it's a pleasure. And if people, I mean, people must have known when they clicked on this in the podcast feed. We are going to be discussing the hind. Can't get my words out. The horns of Nymon, Nimon, Nimon, however Nimon. you say it, Nymon. <laughs> but because yes. David's not here, we can start with two very important questions, mm -hmm. which are, of course, Mark, 
what did you have for breakfast this morning and what's been your meal of the week? Oh, thanks for chucking that one on me. I had no idea this was coming. Um, okay, so breakfast this morning consisted of uh, two slices of wholemeal toast with butter and Vegemite. Oh, Vegemite. Yeah, it was bloody the, lovely. The exotic man's marmite. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have had a few uh, Aussie teammates at work over the years and... Uh, yeah, one of them's talked me into trying it, and now... I mean, I still like Marmite, but, yeah. Vegemite never go back. Difference. Well, you know, it's uh, it's a second choice if I can't get any Vegemite. What about your meal of the week? Anything stand out? Ooh. Um, well... We... Went to a... Um, uh, sort of family park today and uh, did lots of sort of summer holiday type stuff and during a, a bit of a rest from all the water slides and that kind of shenanigans we had some yard farm ice cream which is made down here in Devon where I live and it is fantastic best ice cream out there <sighs> see I'm a Yorkshire boy Brymore that's our <laughs> local brand okay so well, you send some to me, and I'll send some to you. And we'll, yeah, we'll well, a taste I, test. I did mention on uh, our recording this week that you're next on my hit list of podcasters to me. <laughs> but in keeping with Rob and Harry, I can only assume you're about seven foot three, seven foot four. Like yeah, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Yeah, yeah, no, they are big lads. Yeah, yeah, I, I can believe Rob's the tallest. He ah. doesn't present himself as a big man, but. No, no. Yeah, it's hard to tell because you're only really seeing him from the sort of like chest yeah. upwards on a sky. He's just really him. far away on his camera. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, do you like Peter Crouch? <laughs> Honestly, I think when David asked me how tall he was, my response was, How tall's a door? Holy guacamole. So, when we've had little guests doing this bonus episodes, in keeping with what David says is the overarching theme of our pod, I like to ask about your Doctor Who journey. How oh, did you discover Doctor Who and why did you stick with it? Okay, well, just for the benefit of the listeners, I am quite a bit older than yourself and David. So I am you a child. You don't look of the a 70s. day over 25. Oh, Matt, you. You wear your ears well. <laughs> Luckily for your listeners, this isn't a video podcast. Um, yeah, so I I'll, I grew up in the 70s and it was just, it was always there in the sort of, you know, it was a zeitgeisty thing, you know, in the 70s. That was its kind of, its pomp really from the original run, I would suggest. So as a small kid, I kind of had little glimpses of it that I can remember so I have very vague memories of um, The Power of Kroll which is uh, another um, Marmite story from the 70s and um, I can remember bits of City of Death which is a, a slightly more uh, celebrated story um, but the first story that I watched from start to finish as a kid was the horns of Nymon. Ah, so that was that your decision as to why we should cover it? Yeah, I've had a slightly checkered history with this story. So I watched it on transmission in nineteen seventy nine, so I would have been six at the time and it was leading into Christmas, so yes, you know, that adds an extra little bit of magic when you're that age. Um so yeah, as a kid I remember it being incredibly exciting. And then um I had the Target book, which uh, just kept that sort of flame alive. And then, of course, you get into your teenage years and you start sort of caring more about what people think about this TV show. And you watch it back and think, oh, my God, this is really campy rubbish. How could I have ever have liked it? And I found it incredibly embarrassing and just thought it was dreadful, absolute dreck. Um, and then I 
came back to it with a slightly more grown-up perspective and fell back in love with it again. I think it's a fantastic story. Awesome. So, full disclosure, I haven't watched any of it today. Um, this is just as well. Yeah, I logged in to use <laughs> and steal David's Britbox account, but I oh, noticed yeah. he was part way through episode one and I didn't uh, No, no. Mm. So, having been a lifelong, if that's a fair comment, Doctor Who mm -hmm. fan, three okay. quick questions. Yeah. Who's the best Doctor? Uh, or your favourite incarnation? I think they're all great in their own way. They all bring something to the table. It's Pertwee, isn't it? <laughs> um, no. No. And wow. you know that, you little toad. Uh... No, Pertwee's not a favourite. I'm slightly dreading when we have to cover him on All the Time and Space. I mean, I'm going to come in with an open mind, and I'm sure there will be some of his stories that I like, but he's not one that I instantly gravitate towards. Um, I, I think in the near future there'll be a day where I'll say I like Troughton, you'll say you'll mm. like Pertwee, and mm. we can just move on. <laughs> uh, well... You know, your first Doctor is always going to have a special place in your heart. So Tom Baker is, you know, he's a legend. So Tom's got to be up there. Um, but Mr. Troughton has always had a place in my affections, it has to be said. What is your all-time favourite Doctor Who story? Oh, my giddy aunt. Now, um... I'm going to be slightly cheeky and plug another Doctor Who podcast while we're on this, which is the Metabilis 2 podcast. Okay. Uh, it's not one it's I'm a great show. With. It's a great show. Um, certainly up with the calibre of your show, so it's got to be good. Don't damn them um, with that sort of thing, <laughs> <phrase>. <laughs> Um And uh, apart from just having a great podcast, they have a really cool website which offers numerous different things that you can do so you can create your own target novel covers and that sort of stuff but they have this thing i'm sure it's probably still there um, but years ago they had this thing called the preference revealer which if you've not come across that before is a way to use up about six months of your life um, so if you imagine a list of every single doctor who story and then uh, it asks you which do you prefer story a or story b so you then go through that whole process with every connotation and every combination of stories. And after what feels like an eternity, you're then presented with a list of your stories in preference order from your most fa uh, favourite to your least favourite. And the one that came out top for me is a Tom Baker story called The Horror of Fang Rock. It's one I've heard of mm. and it's one I know thought fondly of but it's not mm. one I've seen or so yeah mm. what, what is yeah, it so that makes that story special for you well uh, it comes from a, an era of the show that isn't universally loved uh, but it's early enough uh, that it's just kind of catching the uh, the love from the Hinchcliffe era which was the previous uh, season so still a little bit of that uh, hangover from that uh, production team um so yeah, just to, i won't bore you too much of it but it, the long and short of it is um there was a strike or there was some reason or other that they couldn't record it in the studios in london so they had to go to pebble mill in birmingham and this was an opportunity for the guys there to show that they could produce really top quality uh tea time drama for the main channel and it's set in a lighthouse and uh, it's got this kind of claustrophobia about it um, the doctor and Leela who's his companion uh, are on top form um, there's a very memorable monster which is the Rutans which are the um, the, the little uh, jellyfish aliens. things. Yeah, so the, I know them the from the Doctor Who computer games rather yeah, than anything okay, else. Okay, all right. Yeah, so they're the enemies of the Sontarans. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so yes, and it's uh, it's just a really 
claustrophobic, brooding, um, intense story, and I just love it. It's brilliant. Lovely. Now, whilst we're sat here, I can see you've got your Everton shirt on. Would I know, you sad, be happy it? to know that Liverpool are 1-0 down and down to 10 men? Now, I had seen the score, but I didn't realise they'd lost the player as well. Yeah, so. Darwin Nunes that... has just headbutted someone. Oh, dear. Well, I mean, I'll probably jinx it now by uh, reacting, but, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. They'll probably come back and win 3-1, but, you know. Right, next question, then. What is mm. the worst thing about Doctor Who? Do not say John Pertwee. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, the worst thing about Doctor Who. It's just oh, not enough of it, is there? The thing, the thing you like least. There's not enough of it. <laughs> not enough of it. It's bloody well, everywhere. Yeah, you I should mean, see the no. spreadsheet David's got that <laughs> maps our podcast for the next 35 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're not going to run out of topics, are you? Um, hmm. I find some of the negativity among the fandom a bit tiresome um you know i'm as i've already shown i don't love it, all of it universally but i think there's a way of having those sort of conversations without it descending into some of the grimness that you tend to see online so yeah if i could wave a magic wand i'd just like us to all get on a bit better and uh, and appreciate what we love about it yeah I think I'd second that. Mm. Right, now, the next question I already know the answer to. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's one I've asked when we've spoken to listeners. So, may as well get your perspective on things. Mm -hmm. How did you come to find our podcast? Because I, I always think it's amazing. I've spoken to people in America and the length and breadth of Britain. See, I, my, my recollection is... Like I, I was aware of you and your pod, and it was yeah. as we were doing the first ever live show for Flux, mm. and the mm. first two people to join the Skype chat was me and yeah. you, That's but right. we were the two people who knew one another Didn't least. Know each other, yeah. So it was yeah. just like, uh, hello. Classic. Hello. Yeah. Lots of awkward sort of silences yeah. and. Uh... Um, yeah, I think it was probably prompted by um, the Cloisterville guys and. They'd obviously been publicising who was going to be on, so I thought, well, I'd better mm -hmm. check them out before I go slagging them off. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I really enjoyed it, so I have to Amazingly, you still agreed to, to take episode. part. I know, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Uh, no, I love the show, so um, yeah, Good. I've uh, I've been a fan ever since. Do you like the Doctor Who bit best, or the bit where we talk about our dinner? I think it's uh, it's a beautiful combination of the two, really, because I, you know, I'm a Doctor Who nerd, and I just will listen to people talk about stories I've heard about hundreds of times before, but there's always some sort of new perspective that someone will bring to it that I haven't heard before. If, and if you obviously... want a fresh perspective, wait till you hear this. I've never heard <laughs> David scream the way he did oh. when I reveal my feelings on certain things this week. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Uh, I'll look forward to that. Um... Yeah, uh, I've lost my thread now. Yeah, I, I don't. The, there was no like romantic discovery, was it? It was just a <laughs> message from Rob. Do you want to do this yeah, with these yeah. people? No, I don't. Yeah, you know, and I think um, the fact that you do have all these little nice little digressions that just gives it that bit of personality because there are so many Doctor Who podcasts out there. I'm sure you've mm. been checking them out. And they all have a slight quirks of personality. And if it was all just a, a very dry sort of review, review or a chat, Doctor Who chat, then that could get quite boring after a while. But, yeah, you always seem to change it up and talk about something that's... Everyone's interested in food, aren't they? And this week we pitched the idea of the sitcom Porridge, but Ronnie mm. Barker is replaced with the face of Bo. So, <laughs> there you go. I'm very intrigued by um, Lettuce Letters. Yeah, yeah. I tweeted you the other day, but I didn't get a response. But uh, Wrong letters. You've gone lettuce. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of iceberg lettuce. But, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did contemplate doing a different version <laughs> of the theme every week, like a live version by Simon and Garfunkel. A oh cover up. There's a David Bowie <laughs> cover out there. Is there? Yeah. Mm. Right, and my final question, which we've kind of already covered. Why mm. Horns of Nyman? Well, I mean, I've already explained my, my sort of slightly checkered past with it. Also, there is a, although you called me the, a nice person, there is a, a really devious part of me that makes you want to sit through four episodes of what a lot of people would describe as absolute. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute shite. But I like it. I mean, I've I seen, genuinely like I've it. Seen Not in an ironic way. I actually like it. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's um, it's riffing on a Greek myth. I think that's all you really need to know. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I I wouldn't. I mean, some people will go, oh yeah, I love the Dime Monster or I love the Horns of Nyman. It's so hilarious. But I actually genuinely do love the Horns of Nyman. I think it's got some really interesting story mechanics and. Yes, there are some, um, I'm just going to say unusual performances, but I'll, I won't spoil that for you. I just think it's a great four-part story. That's how I feel with the twin dilemma. And I, I, I'm um, worried people think I'm just being obtuse. I'm like, yeah, I really like the worst Doctor Who. But yeah. when we were going through all the classic Doctors, like mm -hmm. that was most reminiscent of TV when I was young. And I got like yeah. a massive nostalgia hit. Mm. And I just yeah, it's it. funny how it'll hit you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not one of my favourites, I have to be honest. But, you know, each their own. Exactly. Different strokes to move the world. Exactly. Right. Now, my, my, the last little bit. Now, I gave this option to Sonia, and I'm going to give it to you. Ooh. For the finale, would you like mm. to be David or Matt? Oh, um, I'm not sure in which context you're you're giving me this option. Um, it's a lot easier to be me. <sighs> if it's me, you've just got to say bye now. If it's David, well, think, you've got to do a yeah. full wrap up. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ, alive! Um, I'm always terrible at wrap ups on our show. Um, luckily, I'm the editor as well, so I get to edit out all the the mess ups. So I always sound like super slick. Um, I mean, I without wishing to upset you I, David is he's the heart a lovely soul chap. of the pod isn't he's he he's a lovely chap isn't he and I would like to be David but on the other hand if I'm David that means I will get obsessed with prog rock and that would drive me insane yeah. um, so I'm going to be Matt right I'll be David then and say thank you dear listener for your time special thank you to you Mark for your time and your generous donation Thank you. And we hope to see you all again soon. So, cheerio. Ta-ta. No, I always say bye now. That's how I sign it off. Sorry. Bye now. There we go. That's better. I always listen. Never, never miss an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Mark. Cheers. No worries. Well, Matt, I can only assume... That was a lovely bit of chat. What, what a great time was had by everyone mm. involved. Yeah, um, I'm very much looking forward to hearing that in the final edit. Um, so, uh, with all that out of the way, uh, I'm desperate to ask you, Matt, what on earth did you make of the horns of Nymar? <laughs> Uh, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? There's some ups, some downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, plenty of both, I think. Yeah, it, it was okay. I think that's how, yeah. what I would say. I don't think by any stretch it's the best classic who I've ever seen. Um, I, I, I don't think even its strongest defenders would be making that <laughs> argument. It's, I think it's, it's one of those stories that a lot of people straight up hate. And a lot of other people sort of like in a warts and all kind of way. Is it, is it the costume? Does everyone hate it just because the bad guy looks a bit silly? Uh, that's part of it. I think, I think the, 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 uh, 
the humour is divisive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's one of those ones that, um, yeah, I think it's got a very strong flavour to it, and that flavour's not going to be everyone's uh, preferred flavour of Doctor Who. I think it's fair to say. If you're someone who is embarrassed by Doctor Who when it gets a little bit too silly and campy, you're not going to have a good time with Horns of Nyman because it is very campy. Um, It's borderline panto at times. Um, so I, I, I've got a little, I've got a little running order for us, Matt, because obviously we're not going to be going beat for beat with this story like we normally would with on a no. on a regular episode. Um, so I've kind of broken it down into more of its constituent elements, if you like. So I thought we would start by just focusing in on the story and the script. Um, what did you make of first of all the story and then the way in which that story was was told? Um, with this um, one. I, I didn't mind the story I, I thought mm-hmm. in a way it was a bit of a relief that it was relatively straightforward you know yes. I, I mean yeah. to the point it was almost tropey you know oh we've got yeah. an alien invasion and oh the only person that's defending us oh, he's the prince of all people you know yeah yeah I mean were you aware that it's it's it was intentionally taking some cues from the uh, Greek myth of Theseus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it's an odd one because it's not... You can't say it's just a straight-up retelling. It more just sort of magpie-style nicks bits and bobs from, from it and reappropriates it. Because, you know, there's not really... You know, the, the main thing is obviously Theseus and the Minotaur, and yes, the, 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 the Nymon have that sort of Minotaurish look to them, but, you know, there's no maze. There's no... Well, no, but the, there's no the spaceship shifts, doesn't it? And there's hidden entrances and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Like, so that's the thing. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of... it's. It's yeah, it's come, It's just coming at it from quite an oblique angle to the point that I think if you weren't looking for it, you could not even twig that that's what they're doing. Um, now, I I've not seen a lot of Tom Baker's run. Yeah. What what have we seen? Two different stories, and I can't remember mm-hmm. either of them. Um, mm-hmm. But do do they all begin with K nine breaking down and all end with K nine saving everybody? <laughs> no, not all of them, because K nine isn't around for the entirety of Tom Baker's run. What, but, what are the other Tom Baker stories we've seen? Oh, let me think. Uh, Robots of Death. Yeah. We've seen. And there must be at least one oh, other. Oh, it's Thingy. Uh, Brain of Morbius. Brain of Morbius, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's no K9 in that. That's pre-K9. No. I mean, um, it shows how well you've picked that Brain of Morbius is the best one. <laughs> So uh, it's worth pointing out, I think, um, which sort of sub-era of the Tom Baker era this one comes from. So this is a Graham Williams era story. Uh, this is this is a this is an overgeneralization, but broadly speaking, there are two main phases in in Tom Baker's run. You've got the earlier pe- period uh, where you have Philip Hinchcliffe uh, in 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 the producer's seat and uh, Robert Holmes as script editor. And that pe- period is um, well known for its sort of gothic sensibilities and its sort of uh, slightly darker approach um, and Brain of Morbius being an example of that. Um, and then you've got the Graham Williams era, uh, which ups the camp a little bit is a bit more playful, often has even worse bod- budgets than during the uh, the uh, preceding era. And uh, notably for one series, has and this series being the one in particular, has Douglas Adams on board as script editor. Mm-hmm. So 
and and I think Douglas Adams' fingerprints are all over this script. Like, yeah. uh, some of the humour, I'm, I'm like, oh, that's got to be a Douglas Adams line. Because there are so many sort of, like, just bits of witty repartee in in the script. And I think to the point that probably some people find that a bit annoying, but I, I, I enjoy that sort of thing. Like, they are just like little colourful sprinkles on what might otherwise be a sort of slightly dull cupcake. Um, Like where the doctor kisses K-9 for ages, gives him mouth to mouth, (laughs) to the point it's almost uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there is, I mean, if you're you're a K-9 fan, there's a lot of good K-9 content here. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more depth about um, Canon, but but so any, anything else you wanted to say about the story or the script, or is it? Just, I mean, as you say, it's pretty basic. So you yeah, know, yeah, but I, I don't think that necessarily makes it bad. No, no, I, I think it's just for me the the joy of this story is all in the details. Really, mm-hmm. it's in the it's in the execution more than it is the story itself. Um, so let's drill down to some of the characters and, 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 and their performances. So, as we said, this is your third time with the with, with the fourth Doctor. As your Doctor, how are, you, how are you finding Tom Baker overall? You know, for many, he is the definitive classic Doctor. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, I he don't was know if for the he's longest. just playing a really good character or... He genuinely... It just gives the impression he just doesn't care. Yes, yeah. I, 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 to be, like, I think instead that is... of, like, a swashbuckling, heroic doctor, he's just like, oh, I suppose we best go fix this. Anybody want a jelly baby? And I'm just like, what? Hmm. I don't know. He's certainly not my uh, favourite classic doctor, let's say that. No, I think... What, where was it? I, I remember listening to an interview with, I want to say it was Paul Cornell. And the thing that he said that 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 uh, Tom Baker really brought out in the role was that sense of the Doctor as, you know, um, a, a, a bored aristocrat. Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of trope of someone who was born into enough wealth and security that they can just stroll off and start having adventures. And, you know, that is, that is a very British archetype, a a sort of turn of the century, late Victorian slash Edwardian kind of, you know, gentleman explorer type, um, who were often, you know, fairly eccentric and a little bit detached from the worlds that they are strolling through. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 I thought that was quite a perceptive way of looking at Tom Baker's Doctor, because I I do think there is an element of that where he almost, you know, he's he 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 obviously wants to do the right thing where he can, but one doesn't really get the impression that he's motivated by a sort of burning sense of injustice and and wrongs to be righted. Yeah. He's more just sort of like, oh, well, we're here now, might as well get stuck in. Yeah, and it's annoy- as if it's his, yeah. like, nine-to-five job. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, th- this is obviously is your third Tom Baker story, but it's your first with Romana. Mm-hmm. What did you make of Romana as companion? Uh, first of all, were you aware that she was a Time Lord? No. I'd... Okay. Did uh, you... Uh, up until you just saying it there, I wasn't. Yeah. Does that make sense now that I've told you that? Yeah, because <laughs> I, 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 I just saw her as a bit of, like, an intellectual equal for the Doctor. Yes, yes. And that is the big appeal of Romana, I think. Uh, I mean, in many ways, sort of academically speaking, she is his superior. Yeah. Like, they, there's there's a lot of back and forth uh, when, when they first meet about how, you know, she she got much better results at the Academy and, uh, uh, and all the rest of it. But what 
she what she has in in academic learning she she lacks in worldliness compared yeah. to the doctor she's less well traveled and this is her second incarnation so she was originally played by Mary Tam who played her as this slightly imperious like very warm under the surface but but kind of above it all right, figure okay. and when she regenerates into uh lala ward who plays plays her her incarnation here um lala ward brings much more of a sense of sort of fun and cheekiness almost as if traveling with the doctor has made her loosen up a bit right and um just kind of enjoy the ride a bit more. Whereas initially she's kind of, she's almost on the TARDIS against her will. Uh, I won't go into the details, but uh, um, it kind of, it, it probably like wasn't her first choice. She's kind of almost like on an internship. <laughs> um, so, but by this stage, she's kind of along for the ride. And, and actually uh, it's probably worth noting that uh, Tom Baker and Lala Ward were actually married for a period. Oh, really? As a result of meeting. Uh, so so what on-screen, ke- on-screen chemistry they have is kind of, you know, it was their IRL, if you like. Um, and I, I don't know. I both, I both like and dislike Romana as, as, as a concept because on the one hand, it's really fun seeing two super intelligent it's nice it's nice for the doctor to have an intellectual equal and it's sort of almost like having two doctors you know yeah swanning about the place having adventures but then by the same token you lose you lose that groundedness of, of having someone a bit more relatable and at their worst they can come across a little bit like uh, ten and Rose in that almost they're so wrapped up in each other that everyone else around them hardly matters. Okay, yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. But I, I don't know yeah. whether I didn't quite see that here, though. No, I, I, I think in in the case of this particular story, I think they both work really well. We, we and we get you know we get to see Romana rolling her sleeves up and doing the sciency stuff as much as the Doctor. Um, yeah. Which I always really like. Um, um, so let, let's talk about K9. Because yes. it's never not a good time to talk about K9. Uh, worth pointing out, this is the series where sadly... Um, uh, why am I suddenly blanking on his name? Um who normally uh, uh, John Leeson of course it's yeah. um, so this How was the series when you've got your very own signed K9 <laughs> where it has his name and an exclamation mark I know that's a, that was pure brain fart because we're recording this straight off the back of a long day of work for me um, so yeah jo- uh, uh, um, I think it's uh, the chap's name is David Briarly or something? Oh, oh, I might be get. I might have got that completely wrong. I might have just made that, plucked that out of thin air. But I, if memory serves, I think that is the name of of the voice actor. I am not a fan of his interpretation of K nine. I, I, I did, did you notice that voice was different even? Probably not. Uh, no, I maybe did when he was repaired, but I probably yeah. thought that was part of that. Yeah, I, I find him a bit too shrieky compared to John Leeson. For me, Leeson is the, the definitive voice of K9, except mm. no substitutes. Um, but having said that, I think we get a bit of good K9 action here. We get to sort of be silly and break down and uh, we get to see him trundling about and uh, laser beaming some shit later on. Yeah, doing what he does best. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I want. If if you're gonna have K nine in a story, I want to see, I want to see him absolutely wrecking shit in the final act. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I don't think there's much more to say about K nine. But um, you know, that's but that's our core crew. It's a, it's a pretty good team as as a tar- Tardis teams go. Um, 
Fourth Doctor, Romana 2 and K9. I, I mean, it's a lot of people's favourites. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, they, they do gel so well together. And if you like that Douglas Adams-y, Graham Williams era, slightly sillier Fourth Doctor, there's a lot of joy to be had in those series, for sure. And I think that's the kind of thing where it's like a script like this. I think if 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 they weren't having so much fun with it, it would be a bit boring. It would be a bit of a drag. Mm-hmm. But because they are having a lot of fun, uh, main cast and guest cast, I think the end result is something pretty, pretty watchable, to be honest. And yeah. I've never understood the, uh, the sort of... Um, the naysayers with this story. Um, so speaking of the guest cast, mm-hmm. we we can't beat around the bush any longer. Soul Deed. Yep. What did you think of Soul Deed? And I really should have looked up the actor's name. Um, let me I'm let me quickly look that up now. Yeah. Uh, on TARDIS Wiki, he was played by Graham Crowden. Graham Crowden, that's it. I mean, t- talk about turning it up to 11. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's just the right side of being a pantomime, isn't he? Oh, I mean, is he or is he ever so slightly over that line? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. It's, and, but the thing is, again, I think... I think it demand the script demands it. I think he is absolutely making the most of what he's been given. Yeah, I think the reason I say he's the right side of the line is he's yeah. he's enjoyable. You know, he didn't go so far that it ruined anything. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. He was just giving it his all. Yeah, and I think I think if we'd had a more a more reserved performance soul deed would have been a fairly forgettable one-off you know mm-hmm. villain character whereas here the, you know it, it's kind of it you know it's it's all it's all out there he's leaving nothing on the table so you you really get to revel in soul deeds you know his pettiness and his arrogance and his mm-hmm. stupidity uh, which he has in buckets and, and, you know, culminating in that brilliantly OTT delivery of my dreams of conquest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just clawing at his face. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it is a ridiculous performance, but I, I, it, 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 as a result, I think it's one of the genuine highlights of this, this story. And one of the reasons I was so happy that Mark picked it, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm glad that worked for you and wasn't wasn't sort of dragging it down. What did you make of the Nymon as our monsters for the week? Um, like, there's no two ways about it. The, the costume's terrible. It looked like yeah. a giant bollock. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst aspect of it is just how out of proportion they are. So the head, the the, the very the, you got the very very obvious headpiece, yeah, which is utterly gigantic to the point that I can't imagine how much it must have weighed on those poor, um, like stunt performers' shoulders. You know, to be. Just wandering around, even if it's just papier mache, that's gonna weigh a lot. Yeah. Um, just because of the size of it, and I think as a result, it limits what they can do. So they basically all just just wander around slowly with their arms kind of stuck out to the side, and I don't know whether that was like a, dire- a directorial choice that the, the director decided he was going to have the Nyman all walk like that, or whether that was just because if they didn't do that, they would be in danger of falling over and just, like, tipping over backwards or something. And I, um, I, I think this is a personal thing. And right. Because I didn't enjoy it with Legend of the Sea Devils, 
But yeah. I always prefer it when the mouth moves when they talk as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- to be fair, there aren't... The, 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 the archetypal classic Who uh, monster, you're not going to see that mouth move. Yeah. It, it's rare that you get that. Uh, and, the, you know, usually that's when it's it's more of a makeup job than than a costume thing. But I think for, for time and budget reasons, it was so much easier to, easier to just stick a bloke in a costume and a mask than it was to, you know, we weren't in the days of performers getting up at 4 a.m. To, to sit in a makeup chair for three hours and have heavy prosthetics put on you know um so i get it but yeah i just think it needed to be more in in proportion and the fact that no offense to those guys because i mean i can hardly talk about anyone anyone's sort of uh physical appearance but they 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 look so scrawny Mm. do you know what i mean tiny tiny little legs sticking out of the big (laughs) scotch egg (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, and it just it adds to the to the sort of disproportional weirdness of them uh, uh, but what about moving on from the the look of the nine one what did you think of their their kind of vibe do you think do you think there is a way to do uh full-blown nine one in, in, in you who and make it work I, I think so yeah like you know it's not I mean, it's just a big cow head, isn't it? Just yeah, and their motivations are pretty, a pretty kind of standard alien invader. You know, their world's destroyed, and they they're gonna take over a new one. But I liked, I liked that they were, you know, manipulating this sort of failed, sort of failed colonial power, mm. really. And I do think that's one of the one of the interesting things that doesn't get talked about enough with the Hordes of Nyman is that it has this undercurrent of, you know, this society that, that, that dreams of returning to the glory days of empire. And if you think about when this is being made in the 1970s, in that period where Britain is finally fully kind of starting to let go of the British Empire and be like, oh yeah, all those countries we stole, we probably shouldn't have done that. Um, and I think it's hard to take it out of that context. I think that's that was definitely sort of going through the writers' minds at the time. Um, were there any other performances that you that you felt were of note? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Yes. I thought the kids were pretty. Well, yeah. I'm glad you said that. My favourite character, and I don't know who she is, I don't know her name, but there yeah. is, in amongst the kids, a girl with blonde hair who has the most animated face I've <laughs> ever seen. She's quite clearly, like, been the best at her school at drama, and thought, yeah. I'm on the BBC, this is my chance. Yeah, and here we go. So whilst the prince is talking, and he might go, yeah. oh, it's bad news... And you could just see her in the background, like, oh, but obviously she can't make any noise. So, like... Yeah, because it, only, only two of them talk in the whole thing, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. like, if anyone is going to watch this, just keep an eye out for unnamed blonde girl who, uh. like, you, you know sometimes when you see... <coughs> when, when you see people that are working on, like robotics and you see where they take off the latex face of a robot and you can see all the little switches that make (laughs) it move beneath the surface and they sometimes do tests where you can see all the individual bits of the face move she looks like (laughs) that amazing i i completely missed that so next time i'm watching the horns of nyman i will have to keep an eye out for her she she never stops that's amazing. Hardest um, working face in television. <laughs> Apart from that, I'll be honest, I find the kids really boring. Well, they don't do anything, do they? No, just sort of stand around and moan mostly. I mean, to be fair, they've got pretty good reasons for moaning, but, uh, you know. 
even it's... when they do have something to do, Romana just talks to the two that are important and everyone else, <laughs> she just goes, you guys wait here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we'll quickly, I think, talk about some of the other sort of production aspects. So, we've got, you know, the sets. I quite like the sort of art deco kind of vibe of the of the main set. Yeah, like, I, I know, I, I, I talked about this when we did the twin dilemma. Like, mm. I know this will have aired before I was born, but yeah. it's just got such a nostalgic British TV, like, appearance. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, like I, it, I don't know, it, this era immediately gets bonus points from me, because... Yeah. It would have been very easy, I think, to convert that main main base set into the set for a uh, 1970s game show. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of the portal that they, that they go through to get, um, uh, to, to get to the, to the other area, it, it, you know, you could just imagine contestants walking through that and taking their place at a podium. Uh, um, whilst we're talking about the set. Yeah. Why, why didn't they do anything to muffle the sound of the metal floors? <laughs> like, sometimes you can't hear what people are saying because all you can hear is really loud footsteps. The, the honest truth is, nobody will have thought about it until it was too late. Mm. That's usually the answer with, with mistakes in Doctor Who production. Like, why didn't they do this? Nobody noticed until it was too late to change it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and th then you've got, obviously, the, we've talked about the Nymon costumes. What about the other costumes? I, I particularly want to talk about, I forget the, the bloke's name, uh, Soldine's second-in-command. Yeah. His costume. I, 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 I think it's mean. like, I think, like, Lady Gaga would probably balk at wearing that on stage. <laughs> It is absurd, you know these these huge puffy crinkly um, arms on his coat and this ridiculous helmet that's three times the size of his head. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I like yeah. the generic space. They weren't space police, but like the people yeah. that were just working on the ship. Yeah. Like, that was a good old 1970s costume for generic yes. man on spaceship, wasn't it? Yeah. What, one of my favourite things about... Uh, 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 what This wasn't exclusive to Doctor Who, but certainly classic Doctor Who did it all the time of just like, we have an entire race of people. They shall all wear one thing. <laughs> and so all the kids are wearing their, their golden jumpsuits. Mm. All of the people on the base have got their their sort of black uniforms with no no distinctions for rank, other than the one second in command guy, and then of course um, you've got Soldied with his almost Time Lord like uh, get up with with the robes and the enormous collar. Yeah, like, like it, yeah, I, I'm glad you said like it was Time Lord esque, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. It was. It, I think they were going for a sort of wizardly, like high priest look. Because of course that's kind of what he is. You know, he's this. He's interest. I I think Soldi is a genuinely interesting figure in that he's sort of part religious leader, part political leader, um, all nut job. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it, it, so that that all kind of works for me. In terms of music, you've got a, a a classic Dudley Simpson score on this one. You know that very kind of just old school like da 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 kind oh, of. Oh yeah, any time there's orchestra. any intrigue, there's just yeah. a, a pheromone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I I. I I mean, Dudley Simpson was was a very prolific composer for for Doctor Who, and uh, people have a lot of time for his scores. And I think this is, you know, he he was just kind of he just he he got the job done every time, you know. Um, I don't know if there are any other sort of production aspects that sort of jumped out at you. 
Not that I can think yep. of. No. So, yeah, I think we'll just kind of um, we'll kind of do our final thoughts then. I was it, um, so. If you were to do, do rank this on our usual ranking system, what what would you you say for the horns of Naimon? Um, probably, maybe good episodes, some bad bits. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed I'm, it I'm right more than you. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I'm the same. I I think I think it's one of those ones that the fandom at large are slowly coming around on. I, I think I've advanced this theory before on pod. I maybe not, but there was this period within Doctor Who fandom, and I think it was most prevalent during the wilderness years and, and early New Who, where fans of classic Who praise to the high hilts any story that was deemed a sort of gritty and realistic and grounded and 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 uh, and all the rest of it and anything that came across as too silly or campy was dismissed as terrible and i think a lot of fans who got into doctor who with new who kind of look at a lot of the sillier stuff and go oh you know what actually i kind of like that more you know I, I like it when it's not taking itself 100% seriously. Mm. And that's certainly the way I've always felt. So uh, the received wisdom has always been the Philip Hinchcliffe era is is peak Tom Baker and then the Graham Williams era. It all got a bit stupid and, and, you know, all the rest of it. Whereas for me, I probably on balance prefer the Graham Williams era to, to the uh, Philip Hinchcliffe era. So, yeah, I'm glad we finally got to see a bit of that sort of late period or or later period, Baker, because we've not done that yet. I think next next time we do some Tom Baker, we'll maybe pick something from his final series, which is uh, when John Nathan Turner took over and, and you've got Christopher H. Bidmead as the script editor. And it's a whole different vibe again. Yeah, just from um, those names, it feels a different vibe. Yes, yeah. Um, so, but I, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about Tom's run, because because he did it longer than anybody else. You kind of have to subdivide. You know, I think it's quite easy to say, look at, look at the Davison era or the Tennant era or something, and it's kind of one thing. But... Um, yeah, with Tom Baker, when you really get right down to it, you get at least three different versions of the Doctor yeah. <laughs> in his run alone. Um, which is great, and, and I'm really glad that we got the opportunity to, to, to dig a little more into that. So uh, thank you once again to Mark for suggesting The Horns of Nyman. Had a great time watching it, um, and uh, really appreciate that. Um Next time we are doing a uh, bonus episode, Matt. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? There's a, we could go one or two ways. Do you fancy another big finish, or do you want to have a look at some Doctor Who fanfic? Big finish. Uh, uh, the Doctor Who fanfic you might just record on your own. I've <laughs> I'm going to find you something. I think that we won't do too much, but we will pick one piece each. Doctor That's Who, my plan. written by cretins for cretins. No, thank <laughs> you. Uh, so, we'll do a big uh, finish. Okay, so that that will be uh, a Tenth Doctor and River Song story entitled uh, Expiry Dating. Ooh. So keep who, your who ears peeled that for that. For I believe that was the mysterious Jacobus X. Okay. So... Yeah, do, do keep your ears peeled for that, listeners. Don't know exactly when that's going to drop, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, but until then, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com 
and on Twitter we are at Time Nor Space Pod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme. 